Welcome to the Today is the Day podcast, where we take a deep dive into popular health topics and empower you to make informed, evidence-based decisions. We offer practical tools and strategies so that you can easily integrate what you learn into your everyday habits. And today is the day we're diving into the topic of superfoods. We're not talking about the ones that come in packages from faraway lands, but the real superheroes that are widely accessible and can easily be part of an everyday diet. We'll be covering what qualities really make a food a superfood, why we're not fans of the trendy powdered products, how food can truly be our medicine, the environmental impact of popular superfoods, and our top picks for everyday superfoods and how you can start using them in your cooking. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us once again. We're so happy to be back. I'm Megan Telpner, a nutritionist, two-time bestselling author, and founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, where we offer a 14-week certification program in culinary nutrition. Joining me, as always, is the wise sage in our household, my husband and superstar practitioner, Josh Catalis. Hi, everyone. I'm a clinical nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner with a clinic in downtown Toronto. I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Certification Program and an instructor with the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. Today, we are venturing into the room in our home that Josh likes to call the Nutrition Lab. Most people know it better as the kitchen. As we dive into one of our favorite topics, food. In past episodes, we've chatted about the biggest bang for your buck foods in our budget episode, the best foods to support detoxification in our detox episode, and how to avoid being fooled by the labels in our fooled by the labels episode. Today, it's all about the true superhero superfoods. I love this topic, Megan, because it's really where you put the pedal to the metal. It's really where you can actually take the power of nutrition and put it into the nutrition lab and use it in a practical sense. So why don't we begin by just telling us, you know, what a superfood is? So the definition of a superfood, the the term superfood, I think, came into sort of trendiness around 15, 12, 15 years ago. And it really centered on a lot of foods that were being grown in faraway lands that had these traditional health benefits. So they were being processed, packaged, sold in beautiful packaging, and they flooded health food stores. And so as the health world started picking up and becoming more widely accessible, there was a strong push towards what was being called the superfoods. These were things like goji berries, maca, cacao, shazandra, ormus, and we'll get into what all those are or aren't in a moment. And I think that people lost sight of the true value of the foods that we see every day. So those became the superfoods and everything else just became food. And what we want to talk about today is let's get back to the original superfoods, the real deal that are just the accessible ones that we can enjoy in a culinary way that have that everyday healing benefit. Right. And I think in part talking about the origins of these, I think it stemmed from the raw food movement, actually. Oh, you're naming names, throwing shade. Yeah. I mean, when it was really popular about 10 or 15 years ago, this raw uh, vegan kind of movement had really taken the health world by storm. And one of the things I guess a lot of people in that movement realized is that it was hard to find raw vegan foods all year round. You know, if we tried to follow that diet here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, it 
pretty much wouldn't be possible, right? Because we're eating squashes and potatoes and apples like all winter long. Uh, we really wouldn't be able to find that raw food that we need. It'd all be pretty much preserved, dried food. We'd be eating dried blueberries all winter long. So we had to resort to these processed forms in packages from far away. And I think that's sort of how we got on this whole situation with these superfoods. I'm guilty of this for sure, because back in the day when I was first started 10, 15 years ago teaching my classes, I was so excited by all of these foods, by the marine phytoplanktons and the spirulinas and the chlorellas and and the mesquite powders and the lacuma powder. And I have tons of recipes still on my website. And they're not bad foods. They're genuinely good for you, healing foods with with strong healing properties. But does it make sense that the core of our diet ended up being like a whole bunch of powders? Right. And I think part of that whole movement as well, that superfood movement of these packaged powders was giving us the impression that these things had almost magical powers or nutrients that you couldn't get locally. No. You know, that you couldn't get from the foods you're eating on a regular basis. Um, and the beauty about Mother Nature is that she's redundant. So, you know, humans live all over the world, all over the globe in different environments. And that's the beauty of the ability of humans to kind of choose where they want to live in different climates and still not become nutrient deficient. There's still ways to obtain and access every single essential nutrient they need for optimal health. The best superfoods to eat are the ones that grow in your backyard. Exactly. And what's really cool about this is that they're usually actually the ones that you need at that time. Amen. So, for example, <laughs> you know, one of the first foods, and this is one of my absolute favorite wild foods that comes up, one of the first foods of spring is wild leeks, or mm. also known as rams. Which are really high in quercetin. Which have antihistamine activities for those people with allergies. And they come up around the same time as pollen and when things are starting to bloom and blossom. And it's it's literally that the best medicine is in your, whether it's your literal backyard or your theoretical, you know, the backyard of the city or town or county that you live in. The key part about a superfood is recognizing that our food can be our medicine. If we can get our food as our medicine when it's grown locally, close to home, sustainably, that has all those valuable nutrients we want, that's where a lot of that healing starts to come in because it doesn't happen from having, you know, one superfood in quotes smoothie a week. It happens from having a little bit in every meal and every snack and really focusing on it being part of your lifestyle. And for it to be part of your lifestyle, it has to be affordable and maintainable. And that's a lot of what we want to focus on today is how food is part of the healing process. And for a diet to be healing, we need to eat foods that contain as much of their basic vital life force as possible because we are what we eat. Right. And we're going to get into some of our most favorite powerful superfoods that you could get pretty much anywhere. Before we do, there's something I want to touch on because we've talked about these powders and all these things coming from far away and people could be listening saying, oh, well, I don't subscribe to that. I don't eat that. Or I only, you know, I just, I love my goji berries in my tea or I love my cacao elixirs, which I personally do. But we also have to recognize that there is an environmental impact to these health foods. And I've written about it on my blog. There's a blog post I wrote called The Shocking Environmental Impact of Popular Superfoods or Popular Health Foods. And these are the things like avocados and cashews and cacao and coconut. And they're all 
so incredibly delicious. But as you mentioned, living in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, they're not growing in our backyard. Yeah, interesting factoid about avocados is that they're the reason why Mexico has lost a third of their forests. Yeah. Which is just astounding. I mean, it's exploded as a health food. And of course, you know, as we have this discussion, you know, Megan and I do consume avocados on a regular basis. We choose organic ones, which is obviously less detrimental to the environment, but it's important to recognize how these impact our environment on a whole. Yeah. There's a lot of battles that go on about, you know, what diet is most ethical and most sustainable, but we don't talk a lot about the impact of the foods we're bringing in. And you talked about the deforestation of avocados, and I have another fun fact for you. Do you know how much water it takes to grow a pound or roughly two avocados? Do share, Megan. 272 liters of water. Wow. So if you consider that you drink an average of one liter of water per day, so consider that's what, like two thirds of the year worth of your water intake to grow two avocados. Wow. So why are we telling you this? Not to scare you, not to shame you about your avocado loving, because we all love a good avo toast. We all love a good guac and chips appetizer. Like it's one of our favorite things ever. We love a good guac around the block too. <laughs> Boom boom. But we're sharing this so that you can bring a little bit of thought to it and then consider, okay, love my avocados, love my cashews, my coconut, my goji berries, my maca. I have no idea what Ormus is. They sell it. I'm getting pitched it all the time. No one has been able to explain to me what Ormus is what shilajit is, what shizandra is, deer antler essence. You don't need these things in order to have a healthful diet. So what we want to share with you is what we basically do for a living, which is teach culinary nutrition and functional nutrition, but share it using everyday foods you can buy at the grocery store. What is culinary nutrition? Culinary nutrition. Funny you should ask. So what we teach with the Academy of Culinary Nutrition and the philosophy I use around culinary nutrition is the idea of using ingredients in their whole and fresh form, combining them to make recipes and meals that are delicious, beautiful, health supportive, and disease preventative. And we do this by combining modern day evidence-based research and traditional practices. So it's basically the best and most tried and tested approach to creating a healthful diet. And of course, it's individually based. So everyone will have their own optimal culinary nutrition focused diet. But it's the idea of using real foods in delicious whole meals in a way that is sustainable for a lifetime. Right. And what I do with my clients is functional nutrition. So it's looking at how we can use specific foods in specific situations for specific conditions and specific dosages cooked in a specific way to help their healing. You know, I get asked the question a lot, what functional nutrition is? And the way I begin that answer is, is it the opposite of dysfunctional nutrition? And one of the tenets of dysfunctional nutrition is one diet for everyone, right? We have a Canada food guide here. I know in other countries they have other guides, but the Canada food guide basically says we should all eat in a similar way, which is so far from how it really should be. So functional nutrition is about figuring out that way that works for that individual for their specific health concerns. So we're going to do something that we think is really fun and we hope you enjoy it too. But we're going to look at six quote unquote superfoods, everyday foods you can get at the supermarket, six that are sort of check the boxes of culinary nutrition approved and functional nutrition approved where Josh is going to talk about the function and I'm going to talk about how you cook with it and what you do with it. 
Yeah, and health trends will come and go. But when it comes to just good food, they're going to be around forever. So let's talk about a food that has been around forever. It's possible this food has been around before human beings were around. Maybe not a full edible version, but we're going to talk a little bit about fungus, about the mushrooms. Although we actually have an astonishingly amount of similar genes as a mushroom. Yeah. You know, now looking at you, just kidding. (laughs) So mushrooms, why are they so beneficial? Well, the beauty is that they have these specific carbohydrates in them. They're they're special carbohydrates called beta-glucans. And they communicate with the immune system in a very special way where it's almost like it educates the immune system. You know, you've got a rowdy classroom. Think about that as a dysfunctional immune system. And a teacher needs to come in and put everyone in order. Some kids are really not doing what they're supposed to work-wise, and other kids are a little bit too rowdy. And this teacher comes in and modulates the whole classroom, and that's what these mushrooms are. They're immunomodulators. If you have an immune system that's depressed and you're getting infections a lot and sick and colds, someone sneezes three cities away from you and you get sick, uh, it helps to boost it. And if you have you know, an overactive immune system like allergies, asthma, autoimmune diseases, it helps to calm it down. So it's they're amazing for immune modulating. They help to stimulate cells in the body that go seek and destroy like natural killer cells. They downregulate certain inflammatory pathways like the Cox pathway. Tell us about the Cox pathway for a moment. That is an inflammatory pathway, cyclooxygenase. And when that's ramped up, uh, you've just got diffuse inflammation in, in the body and it's not a good situation. I told you guys he was a wise sage. He knows all. Right. So all mushrooms are beneficial. Some have different specialties, but really when you go to the grocery store and see all those different mushrooms, they're all going to have some sort of benefit. It's good to select from all of them. Get get some portobellos, shiitakes, buttons, oysters. I wanted to say maitake. Maitake when you find them. They're not as easy to find, but they're all going to be super helpful. Yes. And Josh and I do forage wild mushrooms, but if you please don't do this by yourself. What's that? What's that? The old saying? There's a saying. There's bold mushroom hunters and there's old mushroom hunters, but there's no old bold mushroom hunters. Basically meaning that beware because about a third of the mushrooms are edible and delicious and healthful. About a third will give you the trip of a lifetime and then the rest will kill you. So we want to ensure we are, if we are wild foraging, you do it with someone who's experienced. But with those mushrooms, the button mushrooms, the shiitake, there's so many amazing ways to incorporate them into your everyday eating. So one of our favorites, and this is actually one of our son's favorites, is a mushroom soup. And it's one of the easiest things you can make if you want to start integrating mushrooms into your diet, where you chop up an onion, a couple carrots, a couple stalks of celery, and then just a heap load of mushrooms. So I usually do it with oyster mushrooms, button mushrooms, and shiitake mushrooms, and simmer that in just enough water to cover it all. And usually I'll add a little bit of turmeric and ginger if I want, blend it up and, or even adding some miso paste and you blend that up and it's a thick, healing, delicious soup. And if I went through that recipe too quickly, I have a similar one on my blog and we'll post a link in our show notes. Or if you have a copy of the Undye Cookbook, it's on page 113. It's called Creamed Mushroom Love Soup. Now, the beauty of that recipe 
combining both the functional and culinary perspectives is that also cooking mushrooms is so important to liberate all those useful nutrients. That's a great point. I do not recommend anyone eat raw mushrooms. I don't think they're delicious for one, but they are a fungus. They're growing on the soil on the ground. They're difficult to thoroughly clean. So I would recommend always cooking your mushrooms. But the point of that recipe that I just mentioned is also to remember you guys, when you are trying these things out, you don't necessarily need a recipe that a lot of these things, you just combine them, you simmer them, you season them as you need to, to your taste. And suddenly you're like a pseudo culinary nutrition expert. Yeah. Crafting up your own amazingness. And mushroom soup's like one of the easiest things because you can overcook it, right? Like you can cook mushrooms for a long time and they don't become less tasty, kind of like a carrot or a sweet potato, right? Yes. Another great way to try using mushrooms is to make like a pate spread. So you might saute up your mushrooms, your choice, add a little bit of garlic and tamari and put that through the food processor and you've got a great spread. And one of my, the easiest ways, and if you're someone, and this is common, my friend Vanessa is like this, She hates mushrooms, but one of the most amazing ways you can integrate mushrooms if you don't actually like eating them, because I think sometimes they're one of those foods that people are hot or cold on, is throw them into your broth. So when you're making a stock or a a chicken soup or a vegetable stock, you can add your shiitake mushrooms or even just button mushrooms and simmer your broth with them in, and then you're straining it out and you're still able to extract some of those immune modulating benefits. Right, and oftentimes with shiitake mushrooms, people throw out the stems because they're very woody. Yeah. Right, so if you're using those for a broth or even saving them for a broth, maybe you're using the the heads of the mushrooms for, you know, like a stir fry or something or your soup, but you're saving the stems, you can throw them in the broth and then just take them out before or strain them out when you're ready to drink that broth. Yes, and for those of you listening, if you're like scrambling to write this down, we're going to have links to, if not the exact recipe I'm describing, to at least similar recipes that are either on megantelpner.com or culinarynutrition.com. And if you go to our podcast episode at culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast, click on this one and you'll get all those links. I'm not going to keep reminding you of this. So (laughs) keep that in mind. Just don't worry. You don't have to scramble to write this all down. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. We're going to take a quick break here so you can meet an inspiring culinary nutrition expert. Though the majority of our students tend to be women, and women continue to dominate the health and nutrition world, the men we have had the honor of welcoming into our community have been nothing short of exceptional, and Dusty Spiller is no exception. Dusty is an Alberta, Canada-based professional triathlete and coach. He offers coaching on triathlons, running, and nutrition on his YouTube channel, and I particularly love his cooking videos. Here's what Dusty had to share about his experience in the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program and how it's helped him with the work that he does. My name is Dusty Spiller. I'm a professional triathlete and coach, and I'm a 2014 graduate of the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. My skills in the kitchen were extremely lacking before taking this course. I could hard boil an egg. I could make protein shakes, but that was probably the extent of my abilities. Since graduating... I have the confidence knowing I don't have to eat processed meals any longer. I can cook from scratch. I can cook healthy meals and have even come up with many of my own healthy recipes. I probably eat more on a daily basis than anyone else who has taken this program. As a professional triathlete, I can train over 20 hours a week in swimming, biking, running, all that fun stuff. So obviously, proper nutrition is incredibly important to me not only for training and racing, but especially for recovery. 
I mostly use what I learned in the program in my personal life, cooking for myself, my wife, and my daughter. However, I do share some recipes and nutrition tips with others on my website, YouTube channel, and athletes that I coach. You can learn more about Dusty and the work he does at DustySpillerTriathlon.com. Links to Dusty's website and YouTube channel are shared over at culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast. Just click on this episode for all the goods, plus some extra episode materials. If you are feeling inspired and thinking, hey, I could do that, and you want to learn more about the Culinary Nutrition Expert program, then why don't you head on over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash program. There's a full course catalog, curriculum breakdown, tuition outline, everything you need to know to determine if this program is the right thing for you. Now let's get back to our conversation. Let's move on to our next superfood. There's a fantastic book I have on my shelf in the clinic called Anti-Cancer by Servant Schreiber. And in the back, he shows different foods and how well they inhibit cancer. They've actually tested a lot of these things. Now, at the top of every single list, breast cancer, prostate cancer, colon cancer, lung cancer, is this following food. And this is available pretty much everywhere, easy to find, and it is garlic. Garlic has these powerful anti-cancer properties that could literally stop it in its tracks. Now, garlic has actually been used also in the battlefield, believe it or not. In the like the war type battlefield? In the war type battlefield. I don't know if you meant like in the, the battlefield for good health. <laughs> that too now. <laughs> but yeah, it's got uh, also powerful antibiotic activity. Wait, how did it get used in the battlefield? Oh, <laughs> to prevent infections. Oh, yeah. like topically. Yeah, I think topically. I would have to double check that, but I remember reading about it probably orally as well because of its antimicrobial activity. And the beauty too is that we know that we have a very complex microbiome in our gut and in our mouth and our whole digestive tract. It'll kill the bad guys, but preserve the good guys. So it has this like balancing effect in the gut as well. One of the things we keep in our home medicine cabinet is a mixture of fresh chopped garlic preserved within honey. So honey's not on this list, though. It very well could be. But honey is basically the only food on the planet that has no expiration date. So if you put chopped garlic into it, it will get preserved within the honey. And then if you feel like a scratchy throat or, you know, just a little immuno suppressed or weakened, or if you've just been gone through, if you've just gone through a stressful period in life, you have a little spoonful of this honey and garlic and you're getting those potent antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral properties of both the garlic and of course the enzymatic action of a delicious raw honey. And that, that sugar does help the medicine go down. Sure does. Now, another really common recommendation I make or situation where I do recommend garlic is for people with cardiovascular disease. It's got a component in it called adjuine. It helps to lower blood pressure. It helps to protect the arteries. It's got some antioxidant activities. So yeah, that's a that's one I, I recommend quite often. Now, Megan, culinary nutrition expert, I know that garlic uh, could be prepared different ways and there's different ways also to enhance or maximize its medicinal qualities. Tell me about that. Optimally, you want to consume your garlic raw. And the best thing to do is to chop it and let it sit. And that's where the allium will 
combine with the alanase to form what's called allicin. Tell me about that, Josh. You nailed it, Megan. Thank you. Yeah, so the, that enzyme mixes, makes that really powerful ingredient. And as you let it sit there, they they all mix and mold and have a party. And that active ingredient, allicin, increases. So you want to let it sit for about 10 minutes. That's where you're going to get the maximum effect. And then you can use it in whatever you're going to use it with. Right. So we're going to use it in things like salad dressings is a great place to incorporate raw garlic because a little will go a long way in different types of dips and sauces. I'm not, a, again, I'm not a big fan of raw garlic in pâtés and pestos, but that is a great way to apply it because it will stretch, you know, that one clove of garlic chopped up in a basil pesto or a kale pesto or a parsley pesto or a cilantro pesto. You get the idea. Uh, it goes that long way. I personally prefer garlic roasted. However, it is less potent, has less of a medicinal benefit, but it is delicious. And there still is some health benefit. And I'll often add it to roasted vegetable mixes. I will add cloves of garlic when I'm making a soup or a broth. A roasted garlic soup is an incredibly powerful food to eat. So there are lots of ways to start to incorporate the garlic. And if you can think about ways that you can handle the taste, and some people love garlic and have no problem with it. So just remember that it's best consumed raw. Right. And just one more little point is that when you do do that crushing maneuver, uh, you could still cook it a little bit if it's like way too strong for you. But the longer you cook it, the more of those active ingredients you destroy. So just keep that in mind. Oh, and stir fries. It's good. And stir fries. Stir fries. Yeah. I feel like you can put anything in a stir fry. Speaking of which, turmeric. Turmeric's great in a stir fry too. Turmeric's our next superfood. Super root, super herb. One of the most researched herbs for all of its medicinal qualities. But it's got an active ingredient in it called curcumin. That's what gives it its yellow pigment. And that curcumin is a fantastic anti-inflammatory. Helps to, again, we spoke about this one before, cox. We, cox and locks. These are inflammatory pathways that get upregulated in inflammatory condition. It helps to downregulate those. Affects over 50 different genes that we know Just of gonna today. Just going to say that. Yeah. Because what I was going to say was how it's amazing that Turmeric is such a prime example of how healing culinary functional foods are, that they affect so many different things in the body, that there's never one food for one result or one illness or one prevention method, but that all of these foods are so multifaceted and how they benefit our well-being. So true. Like from a pharmaceutical perspective, they're looking at drugs or certain components, even a plant sometimes that affect one pathway. And as a result, you can't really do that 100%. There's always these things called side effects, which should really be called effects. And they're usually negative. But with food, you get something like turmeric and you say, oh, it's an anti-inflammatory, but it does like a hundred other things. It also well, has antidepressant benefits yeah. that have side benefits. Yeah. Side benefits. Mm -hmm. Healthy foods have side benefits. Side like benefits. Nothing in the body heals in isolation. That's what's so incredible is that once you start reducing inflammation in your joints, you're going to see benefits in other parts of your body. And you sort of like peeling back the layers of the onion that you don't even know what's connected to what until it starts resolving itself. It's like, oh, I had these like reincurring sinus infections that I didn't know what anything to do with this other thing that I've been addressing, but suddenly they're both gone. Absolutely. Yeah. And more recently, turmeric's actually being 
research for its antidepressant activities because we're learning that there's a type of depression that's related to inflammation. So people start taking these things and they're like, oh, I'm going to take some turmeric for my joints. But then their moods improve. Yeah, it's amazing. One of my favorite ways to incorporate turmeric is by making my own spice blends. And I make all my own because oftentimes the store-bought ones will contain black pepper in them, which I'm personally allergic to. But to make my own curry powders and then different types of rubs for tofu, tempeh, fish, chicken, any kind of meats or whatever I may be cooking. So I make my own spice blends and they always include turmeric. We love juicing turmeric. We include it in a weekend orange grapefruit juice and our son Finn has a diluted version, which he loves and he also loves making it with us. There was a drink we enjoyed when we were in Bali called Jammu Juice, which was basically turmeric, honey, and lime, which is so good. And you can make this with fresh or ground turmeric. Turmeric lattes, of course, have gained much popularity. And I'll post a link to my world famous turmeric latte or golden milk, they're sometimes called. One other fact I want to share about turmeric is because of that potent anti-inflammatory effect, it's a beneficial spice to add to stir-fry mixes or sauces. The oils helps reduce the oxidization of the oils and is also beneficial in barbecues when you're barbecuing food. Do you want to talk a little bit about that for a moment, Josh? Sure. Yes. There's, you know, when you're barbecuing meats, the fats from the meats will drip down, hit the coals, and then those smokes that come back up get absorbed back into the meat and they're carcinogenic. They're known as benzopyrenes. Now, that's why when you do cook meat, you don't want to overcook it. So, you know, if you do make a steak, medium, medium rare is a good place to be. So you get most of the cooking on the outside and all the good meat on the inside. But there's ways to mitigate that effect. And as Megan mentioned, it's turmeric. So turmeric neutralizes these benzopyrenes so that they're not uh, carcinogenic anymore. Yeah. So start adding turmeric basically to everything. You can add it to your elixirs. You can add it to your scrambled eggs or scrambled tofu. You can add it to a lot of things. And you want to start with a small amount, especially if it's not normally part of your diet. It has a strong taste, but it isn't. it can be an acquired taste in that the more you have, the more you love it. And it's it's a it's a superfood to have in your diet every day. And you just made me think of a really great question we get often related to culinary nutrition, and that is how much of this stuff do we actually use, right, to get the benefits? Great point, Josh. Do we have a cup full of turmeric every single day? Well, actually, I did have one client who in her diet diary had one tablespoon of turmeric powder every day on its own. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I had to ask her a few times if that was actually for reals. But when it comes to spices and herbs, we have these things called taste buds. And taste buds usually give us a signal, oh, you've had too much, or you can't really taste it, have a little bit more. So I think most people know that when you're working with herbs and spices, if you put too much in, it's going to wreck the whole dish. Yes. And those taste buds are self-regulating as long as you're eating whole unprocessed foods. As soon as you move into the realm of processed foods like chips and donuts, those foods are heavily tested to basically find your threshold of how sweet or how salty or how fatty they can be to get you to eat the most. And there's a ton of crazy information on this topic in the book Salt, Sugar, Fat by Michael Moss, which I highly, highly recommend. It's actually one of the required readings in in the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. So let's move on to the next superfood, which is hemp seeds. 
I love hemp seeds. You wanted to talk about flax seeds. Josh is like the main cheerleader for the flax seed. Like he'd be head of the flax seed marketing program if he could. He loves flax. But we talked about flax in the budget. So we're going with hemp seeds. We love hemp seeds. And hemp seeds can grow here in Canada. They can. Yeah, so they're local as well. Hemp seeds obviously come from the famous... Now now extremely now famous. very famous, as it's been recently legalized here in Canada, the marijuana plant. But it's been given a bad rap. Well, it has had a bad rap for a very long time because of that, because it was related to this, this drug plant. But uh, the seeds have no hallucinogenic activity, no THC in them. Uh, you can eat as much as you want of them. And they have a fantastic balance of our two essential fatty acids. They're called essential because we have to get them from the diet, an omega-6 and, and an omega-3 fatty acid. And they have a really good balance of that as well. They are high in fiber and high in protein. And I often recommend that when you're looking at your meals and your snacks to look for the sources of fiber, fat, and protein. And the hemp seed checks off all those boxes. Sure does. And the beautiful thing about hemp as well is it's so soft. Yeah. It's just a nice, it's got a nice mouthfeel and a nice taste. I know. That's why I'm on team hemp, but you remain on team flax. Team flax has to be ground. Well, you know, I always give up a little taste for a little bit more hemp. Always. Unfortunately, we won't bring up the bread you made yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Still working through it. It can be a bread or a doorstop. Or uh, a security item in case a robber comes into your house. Yeah, yeah. Basically functions as a brick either way you slice it. Do you like that one? Okay, so hemp seeds, as Josh mentioned, they are soft, which makes them incredibly versatile. I love using them in different pestos and dips because they grind down so easily, where often you'll see these recipes call for things like pine nuts, which are also delicious, also superfood, but also incredibly expensive. Hemp seeds are a little more accessible price-wise, and they just make such a nice soft topping. I love them, or rather soft grind down in pestos and stuff. They make a great topping on salads. But also, if you put into your, you probably used to call this your coffee bean grinder. You now call it your spice grinder or your nut and seed grinder. But you can grind down about one part hemp seeds to one part nutritional yeast, add in a bit of sea salt. And that's an amazing type of sort of cheese or parm replacement to sprinkle onto popcorn. Right. Great. Sprinkled like that on salads too, or, or on a pasta dish or something where you would normally put grated Parmesan. Yeah. Hard to grind hemp seeds by themselves because they're so fatty. They, yeah, the they beauty, but also together. the challenge. Yeah. Hemp seeds are also great because they grind down so easily. I'll use them in sort of simulated quick yogurts where you can blend them up. I know we, we sort of threw avocados under the bus a little bit, but a great recipe is mixing together uh, hemp seeds with avocado and banana that makes a really great pudding. And that's a great option if you have kids to get that into the diet to get those hemp seeds in. But our son literally will will put them in a bowl and he'll lick his finger and, and just eat the hemp seeds. And they're so soft that you don't have to worry about choking hazard. Of course, they obviously, as most things, go well in a smoothie as well. Cinnamon is another favorite of ours for for superfood. It's accessible almost everywhere. It's a common spice. And it really helps your cells become more sensitive to insulin. So it helps with blood sugar control. I recommend it to a lot of people who are on that blood sugar roller coaster to include in their diet and smoothies and whatnot. It's got uh, somewhat of a sweet flavor too, which you could talk about. 
but it's also an incredibly powerful antioxidant. Mm -hmm. It's got antimicrobial activity. I actually use certain supplements that have cinnamon concentrated as an antimicrobial for people who have what's called dysbiosis. And it has some anti-clotting activity too. Cinnamaldehyde is a component in it, which helps to uh, thin out the blood a little bit. Thin out the blood. So you definitely wouldn't want to use cinnamon if you cut your finger. But the opposite of that is cayenne, which has a clotting benefit to it. So if you cut your finger in the kitchen, do the cayenne. It staunches blood flow. Staunches blood flow. That's that's the term I was looking for. But not it in increases, the body, not if you can Not in the body. It increases that clotting factor when you cut yourself. Correct. But yes, it's not harmful in, in the body in that way. So tell me how we could use cinnamon. Oh, yeah. Well, I love cinnamon. I put it in my elixirs in the morning. I sprinkle it on basically anything that's not savory. So if you're having apples and nut butter, sprinkle some cinnamon on. If you're just having apples as a snack, sprinkle some cinnamon on. If you're having an oatmeal in the morning, add cinnamon. So it'll help lower that glycemic effect, that blood sugar effect that a carbohydrate-based meal might have. So cinnamon has that super power to it. I love it in baked apples. So you take an apple, use, this is my my secret culinary nutrition tip, so don't tell anyone. But coring an apple for baked apples is a pain because you usually cut through to the bottom. So I use a melon baller to scoop out the core and any extra apple because you really want as much filling as possible. And then you mix some chopped nuts, some dried fruit, a little bit of honey and that cinnamon, put that inside the apple and bake it. And that's an amazing, amazing grain-free, gluten-free, paleo friendly. If you don't use honey and use a different sweetener, vegan, it basically checks off all the boxes as an amazing dessert. And it smells so good when it's baking. And I also love adding a little bit of cinnamon when I make my homemade milks. So if you make a homemade almond milk or a hemp seed milk and you add to it a little bit of cinnamon and clove and cardamom, you're getting like this chai milk that is really delicious and you warm it with a little bit of honey or your favorite sweetener of choice. You don't even need a sweetener, quite honestly, because cinnamon has that sweet taste. It's so like it's like a, a warm hug. All this superfood talk is making me hungry and thirsty all at the same time. For lunch. Do we have a cinnamon jingle, Megan? We do have a cinnamon jingle, Josh. Do you remember it? I do. Okay, you ready? Yeah. One, two, three. Cinnamon, yum, yum, yum. In my belly, in, in my, my tum. tum. Short, but sweet, just like cinnamon. Okay, moving on. I don't know what key I was just singing in because I'm tone deaf and don't know music, but it was very high. I'm sorry. Your heart was in it, man. My my heart is always in it. Final superfood we're going to talk about is walnuts. And I bet you Josh is going to bring up the term doctrine of signatures. I sure am, especially now that you asked me to. (laughs) But yes. There's something in nature called the doctrine of signatures where certain foods look like certain body parts. Maybe that's a whole podcast for another day. Yeah, it'll lead with horseradish root. <laughs> but We think in pictures. Uh, but walnuts look like the brain. And uh, yes, walnuts are amazing for brain health. They're super high in omega-3, the highest out of all the nuts. And those omega-3s get converted into these longer omega-3s known as DHA, which makes up a big portion of the brain and helps with cognition, helps with uh, slowing of brain degeneration, helps with memory, helps with happiness, helps with lots of other fantastic things having to do with the nervous system. 
And like cinnamon, it has that blood sugar control. And it just is, I mean, I find walnuts delicious, but here's the thing. I think most people have only experienced the walnut while it's ruining a good brownie. Why do they put them in brownies? I don't know. I mean, I do like raisins and oatmeal cookies, which you get very upset about. But I think, is it not unanimous that walnuts do not improve a brownie? I'm interested to see what the split is on that. (laughs) We should have a poll. We're going to have a poll. We'll have a poll and maybe in our Facebook group. Don't quote me on that because I might forget by the time this comes out. But I'm going to take a vote, maybe on our Instagram. Anyway, so... Walnuts, like the hemp seeds, can be used in pestos. It can also be used in crackers. So I love to make nut and seed crackers to reduce or eliminate the grain factor to really have, because I, I love crackers, and but crackers are usually just processed flour. So walnuts and almonds can make a base for a cracker. Of course, when you bake a walnut, you are losing some of that omega-3 benefit. So I will acknowledge that before you write to me and say, but what about this? It, it does happen. Um, I also love walnuts mixed with dates to make the crust of like tarts and mm. pies and cakes and my cashew-based cheesecakes. Walnuts are also great, just sprinkled on salads. So just break them up, sprinkle them on salads. There's And I, I make my own little trail mixes too that I'll take with me on the go. And I have a few walnuts in there, some hazelnuts in there, some dried fruit, maybe some coconut chips. So there's lots of ways to start to integrate walnuts into the diet. And you should, because they are delicious and good for you. One of the really easy ways that I use walnuts, because I think you know that I don't love to eat handfuls of walnuts. It's just not one of my favorite things. I just throw a few into my smoothie. They blend up really nicely because they're so fatty. They're easy, and I don't mind them in that situation. Yeah, or if you can sprinkle them on your granolas or oatmeals if you eat that kind of thing as well. We've gone through six, just six, of these amazing superfoods. For a quick recap, do you think you can remember from the beginning? We had mushrooms. What was the next one? We had mushrooms, turmeric, cinnamon, walnuts. Garlic. Garlic. And hemp seeds. And hemp seeds. So that was six. It's just six, you know, that we chose because we love them. There's many, many more. A tour of the grocery store with us would take years if we wanted to talk about every single one. And we do talk a lot about them in our respective programs in different capacities. In the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program, we talk about them for their health benefit and how to apply them into our everyday cooking. I hope you are feeling inspired by this brief discussion about the power of real superfoods, the ones that grow close to home. And though we know and we're grateful to have listeners around the world, we'd actually love to hear about some of the superfoods growing in your own backyard. So leave us a message. Maybe it's on Instagram, maybe it's in our Facebook group, but we'd love to know what the regular everyday superfoods are that you have access to. And we might envy you if you live by the equator and you do have avocados and bananas and coconuts growing in your backyard. But for now, these are the superfoods we're sharing that we would love for you to start integrating into your everyday eating. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, we have more. There are loads of resources, all of the links, and a helpful bullet point summary of everything we covered in this episode over at culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast. If you love this episode, have a passion for learning how you can use everyday superfoods for their healing powers and share this information with others, then take three minutes and head over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash program and review the preview video for our 14 week certification program. It's possible that this is exactly what you've been looking for. 
Knowledge is important, but applying it is where the power is. As I always say, the best way to get started is to get started. Take what you've learned and start applying it in your life. Get those superfoods in the kitchen and start using them. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you again next time.